This is episode 100. Be careful, be good, and be back. And the hypnotist is next. Welcome to the interview podcast from Milbank, South Dakota. This is Craig Weinberg, and this is a special 100th episode of this show. The interviewpodcast.org is where you can find out all the other conversations we've had, follow along, and help support the show. Today is a treat. The one and the only, <laughs> Brian Duncan, is here with me today. Brian Duncan of music fame starting back in the 70s. And now he's coming out with a roar with Nutshell Sermons, nutshellsermons.com. If you want to hear Brian Duncan and his musings, stories from the road over his life, NutshellSermons.com. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I had a blast getting to know him a little bit more. Let's get right into it. Thanks for listening. When did you start touring? Well, you know, it's hard to tell. I I, um, I, I was playing in a in a little couple of bands in high school and then I went to college and I I did some touring with that group you know it was kind of an up with people kind of okay. sound and then I got kicked out of Bible college and then uh, I went home <laughs> and I had nothing to do and so I ran away from home you know wound up in California and I started singing by myself I wrote songs you know for a long time since I was 16. And uh, ran smack dab into the Jesus movement is what they called it. Well, they would call that later. Mm -hmm. But um, California was where all the hippies were. And, um, you know, Jesus music was becoming the thing. <clears throat> and that's where I started a band. So um, and then we, you know, that took three years to get off the ground and, you know, record anything. And so the tours were were slow coming. Where where were you raised? My dad was an evangelist, you know, oh. in the early days. So, I mean, I lived all over the country. Washington State, Utah, Colorado, North Carolina, Florida, California, uh, and Washington State. So, you know, my whole life is perpetually kind of like being on tour. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I, I grew up in Oregon for the first 25 years of my life, so that was our... Uh, that the West Coast is near and dear to me. Is that where you are now? No, I'm in, in I'm in South Dakota now. Oh wow! The uh, nothing like a good escape plan. <laughs> some, There's nothing up there. <laughs> <laughs> There's some freedom, so we like that. <laughs> so I I remember as a kid growing up uh, listening to you on the radio, uh, and I think we had I don't know how many of your records we had back in the 80s uh, and early 90s. And I was talking to my sister last night about it, and we were going through your your discography on Spotify and <laughs> reliving the good old days 
Um, you know, I have to do that too now, <laughs> you know, because I'm telling my, on my Nutshell Sermons uh, podcast, mm-hmm. I started telling the story of the early days. And and I have to go on and Google my own life because I don't remember some of it. <laughs> right. Or the timeline, you know. Thank God I had records, you know. I, okay, okay, this record was done in 1987, so I know that's where I would be. Right. So I, I kind of want to dig a little bit into the music industry because, I mean, it's changed drastically over the years. And probably in the last two or three years, it's really changed. Uh, and I, um, I, I remembered about you uh, because I heard uh, Adam Curry playing a few of your tracks, your uh, value for value music tracks uh, yeah. on, on his show, Boostergram Ball. Um, and I've, I've gotten to know him, uh, interviewed him here on the show. He's one of the inventors of this whole podcasting movement. Then I thought, oh, geez, Brian Duncan, I know that. And so then I dug around and uh, and then you so graciously um, responded to me, which is fantastic. But the 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 landscape of shall we say commercial music is probably the wrong thing has changed a lot um i don't even know what you call it dude (laughs) it's uh as far as i can tell um the it's not the same the rules have changed it's all new players in a whole new ball game Uh, that's to quote from a steely dan song (laughs) uh i don't see a music business that i even recognize at this point you know, doing records is seems like a waste of time. Now you um, mean na- nowadays it does. Say what? You, you mean nowadays it seems like a waste of time? Yeah, nobody does. I mean, to go in a studio and do an album and have a budget and bring everybody together. I mean, even even writing songs is you know you almost never sit in the same room with somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no synergy to it, and I don't like it. And but that's the way it's been done. And, you know, uh, eventually I was getting to where I was sending meta files, uh, <laughs> um, uh, MIDI files. Yeah. I, think. I can't remember. What, but, you know, I'm going, this is not this isn't music. Mm-hmm. This is uh, computer generated crap. And I stopped <laughs> doing it. Um, I've written songs since then, but not a lot. And, you know, thanks to Adam Curry, I started, you know, uh, herding all my songs into one venue because Spotify and iTunes and Amazon, you know, have pretty much robbed musicians blind. Every time I see an advertisement saying, hey, you know, subscribe to our <laughs> right. pod, our, our application, we give you 6,000 free songs. Uh-huh. I'm going, uh, that's, <laughs> it's just rude. Right. Yeah, but it is almost insulting because it's stealing creativity at some point. Um, well, you know, it's discounting at iTunes, uh, you know, the fact that they placed the value of a song at a dollar twenty nine. I think before that it was ninety nine cents. Oh, hey, inflation. Like, that pretty much buried most musicians in the way of, you know, being able to to uh, see royalties from music. Well, and in royalty that's any that's substantial. I mean, a couple of pennies doesn't really do anything for you. Um, when did you first sign with a label? Um, well, I, you know, we did a re- we did a song for Maranatha Music that was oh way back the first nineteen seventy six, and then we did one record with Maranatha Music as a Sweet Comfort band, mm-hmm. 
uh, that was uh, that came out in 1977, and then we uh, we learned a lot about the fine print of a contract. <laughs> and going, you know, I don't think we want to be here. Right. And so we left, and we went to Light Records for uh, what seemed like about five albums. <clears throat> kind of lost count at this point. Well, what was different about that label? Well, they were a little more. They were uh, larger, uh, more nationally recognized, mm-hmm. and they had they had some Christian artists on there, uh, but but um, they also had R and B and gospel. Uh, they had Andre Crouch and the and Edwin Hawkins mm-hmm. and you know that crowd, and it just seemed like it was a broader base. Was their contract any different, or they just had more? Well, reach? yeah. <laughs> They actually paid royalties. I, you know, Maranatha Music was considered themselves a ministry, and they didn't feel like they needed to pay you for anything. So, oh, so you get uh, you got to donate your product to them? Yes, uh, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Sounds right. Thing that I haven't thrown Jesus out with the bathwater because you know I don't like some of his friends. <laughs> well, he may not necessarily call them friends. <laughs> well, he loves everybody. Well, that's I, true. I don't know blessing them. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. So then you were with Light Records. Uh, after that, at some point, did you ever go uh, independent before the modern era of digital music? Well, sure. Um, I was in the Sweet Comfort Band for 11 years. We toured our brains out until I got tired of being on the road, and so I quit the band so mm-hmm. I could be home. Um, and then I started a solo career just because somebody was offering. Um, in fact, it was Light Records that Sweet Comfort Band was with. They came back to me and asked me to if I would do a solo record. In fact, they asked me to do three if the first one sold well, and it did. <laughs> so um, that was the beginning of solo career. And then there was modern art, which kind of went out of business. And then um, I signed with Word Records for the rest of my, you know, old music business career. Yeah. When, when did that end? I don't remember. I have to Google myself. Uh, <laughs> it's like the Wikipedia. <laughs> you know, it, it ended... It probably ended in the late 90s. Okay. Um, I did one more record with, I um, can't remember the name of the project now, but oh, Provident Music. I did uh, a record called um, Joyride, and that was just one, it was a one-off record. By then, you know, I'm, I'm kind of old hat. And, mm-hmm. You know, people go, oh, yeah, well, he's been around for years, and, uh, you know, the music business doesn't like old people. Let me just tell you that right now. <laughs> and uh, then I did a bunch of my own records. On uh, I started my own label called Red Road, and I did stuff with the Neo Soul Band and a, a record called Still Dancing, and I did some other stuff like that. And then that's when things started to change. Uh, music was going to Kickstarter where musicians could just uh, start their own project yeah. by raising money for the public. Mm-hmm. And so we did a record the first time we, we raised $40,000, you know, in about two weeks. 
to do a record, which was amazing to me. I didn't know I had that many people still living that knew my music. <laughs> no, we did a we did a song called we did a record called Conversations, uh-huh. and uh, and after that we did a live project, the live experience, and then we did a record called Shine. But by then, even even the uh, fundraising thing became kind of old hat. You know, there's a law of diminishing returns. You know, you can only ask people to help you do a record um, maybe one or two times, and then they've already done that. And it's like, you better either find a, find a new audience or find something new to do. Well, but isn't that kind of the theory behind value-for-value value music, where, you know, essentially you're paying directly the creator um, for access to that you're you're valuing it for them this is only i'm a i've only i'm only aware of this for the last two weeks because i have a friend that helped me start a podcast um because i wasn't doing concerts after covid hit Mm -hmm. um the pandemic just ruined concert presentations and and my concerts have never really come back full force and of course i don't tour my brains out like i used to i I would play on the weekends, but that got pretty thin. And, you know, so finally, uh, I've got a friend that does a podcast and he helped me get this thing set up so that I could do, uh, my own kind of podcast. And that was kind of born out of my sarcastic sense of humor and (laughs) fact that I, I read devotionals every week, every morning. And, and I would always find these little things, little, you know, I'd call them nutshell sermons. Yeah. Uh, it's like, there's a difference between forgiving and and excusing. <laughs> I thought, wow, there's a nutshell sermon. Yeah. And post those on Twitter. So uh, when I started the podcast, I didn't want to do an hour-long thing. I don't have that long attention span or that kind of brilliance. So um, I did a, you know, a lightning fast, two-minute antagonistic devotions. And they... <laughs> They've got sarcasm to them and a little honesty and an extremely a uh, lot of lot of humor, uh, but still scriptural reference. And I think they're mostly for uh, people who who've grown up in church mm-hmm. and kind of kind of burned out of a lot of it, you know. Because um, after a while, it becomes kind of cut and paste, if you know what I mean. And at some point. You have to keep making the scriptures uh, viable for today. That is the challenge of preaching, isn't it? Of good preaching nowadays. Uh, sorry, not good. Compelling is making yeah, it relevant. Uh, well, I never wanted to be a preacher either. You know, I, I don't want to. I said, you know, I'm not a preacher, and I don't play one on TV <laughs> um, because you know I'm just. I'm the guy on the back row going, wait a minute, what's wrong with this picture? You know, it's like, <laughs> well, you know, that's not working for me because I, you know, I'd sit in church after, you know, growing up in church my whole life and I'd hear stuff from this, from the pulpit that, and I'd turn into a bobblehead and go, wait, wait, nah, you know, I've been there. I don't think that's true. And, you know, <laughs> found myself arguing more often than not. And um, so, you know, I'm just, I'm just talking from the your friend on the back row, you know, because at the end of the day, that there's a working out of your own salvation 
that requires you to ask questions and to object to things and talk about how you feel about something. Mm -hmm. In one of your uh, podcasts I listened to the other day, you tell the story uh, or you you bring up the point of a lot of the uh, promoters of some of the concerts you were brought into um, really insisted that you do an altar call. Yeah. Um, t- why was that a problem in in your mind? Like what why did that seem not as valuable as they did? Um well, you know, it's kind of hard to tell, you know, growing up in Pentecostal church, I, you know, my dad took all of his uh sense of significance by how many people, you know, came forward oh, at the yeah. end of the night. And, you know, and of course that was the measuring stick for Christian artists too, is like, you know, were people getting saved? But I always thought it was, it was a little short-sighted, you know, to, you know, have a one-time prayer with somebody and say, look at all these people. And it became a numbers game. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, you know, 20 people were saved. You, know, you don't know any of their names, but, you know, they were saved. And I noticed that um, the Billy Graham Association uh, said that, they had a 3% of all the people that came forward that would follow through on, on their conversions. Three? Uh, yeah, 3%. <laughs> so I'm going, that's three out of a hundred. I'm going, I think we're putting a little too much emphasis on, you know, get them saved and then give them to somebody else to worry about. Hey, that sounds like an evangelist mindset. <laughs> <laughs> well, trust me, I've been around a lot of evangelists, and I, the one thing I noticed is that um, if you were a lost person, mm-hmm. you were really important until you were saved and you became a Christian, and then now you're somebody else's problem. Mm. You know, like, there wasn't, <clears throat> there wasn't a lifetime uh, walking with people um, in faith, in that kind of faith, and it. So, in some ways, a lot of, I mean, I don't have any problem with the sinner's prayer and acknowledging uh, Jesus as your Savior. I just think that we we tend to try to reproduce that way too fast. Well, see, I've had discussions with uh, friends over the last few years about the whether the, the concert as a, as an, uh, an evangelism outreach tool is is viable anymore. You know, way back in way back in your day, <laughs> you know the the era of the big Petra concerts and uh, yeah. you know the the big movement, the Lifelight Con- Festival was huge here in Sioux Falls for twenty years, I think. Um, mm. You know, so you have this idea that well, we need to have this big concert and then we're going to have a message because we're gonna we're gonna draw all these people to Jesus and get them saved. Um, I guess I don't know if that's really a viable method or avenue anymore, or was it ever? Oh, I think it worked for a while. I mean, these days, you know, uh, the distractions are enormous uh, to people's attention span, and it's hard to get people to even sit through a whole concert, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, my podcast is two and a half minutes long. Uh, <laughs> Because I don't think I can keep people's attention longer than that. Songs are three to four minutes long, and mm-hmm. you know, and that's pushing it <laughs> for people. You know, I've literally said, "Hey, listen to this song I wrote," and 
it's it's so funny i listen to i watch people listen to my song and they will start talking literally within the first 30 seconds of the song really? oh others you know it's like they say that we get 30,000 messages a day through uh, different social media mm -hmm. platforms and news and TV and such the like. And I don't know how you get anybody's attention for more than 10 seconds. Um, and this is where I trust God because he has the way of getting your attention. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it's usually through affliction mm. and suffering that suddenly we go, wait. Maybe we don't have all the answers by ourselves. Do you think that's partial? Well, but it, I think you just nailed it. It's because um, when everything is going good, we kind of feel like, yeah, we got it. We got this handled. <clears throat> we can do this. Yeah. Then when things fall apart, you're right. We realize that maybe we don't have what it takes to really get this rolling. And then you need help. And so where do you turn? Well, if you have any history in God, you turn there. How, how do you? How do you get people, and even in yourself, how do you get to where that is the fore of your mind? Where, you know what, I can't, even though things are going well, it's not me. I don't know. That came pretty natural to me. I, you know, uh, if you take any kind of a moral inventory of your personal life, and, you know, I mean, there's the things that I say, and then there's the things that I do, uh -huh. and they're sometimes really incongruent. Mm-hmm. It would be hard to uh, magnify yourself in any stretch of the imagination. We all have fallen short, right. and we can fall short. And but for the grace of God, and these days I don't know how you reach people who have no background in Scripture. Um, man, this is like it's like talking to a newborn. You <laughs> know, you're going. I gotta wait for them to even <laughs> right. be aware of where they are uh and that's when i look at the world now you know i don't know how i would relate to you know 90 percent of the world it's maybe that's an old people thing but you know I, i'm going how would i even talk to this person i mean they've got so many assumptions and presuppositions that it would be hard to even start a conversation um number one there is a god and you're not him you know, imagine I could start there, but <laughs> right. then it would, be, it would be a longer process than that. And, you know, these days, you know, everything is sound bites. You know, you've got bumper sticker theology. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just one thing that I count on the most um, is from Scripture that where the Bible says no one comes to the Father except he draw them by his spirit. Yeah. And that is a the first time I caught that i started to realize wow you know in evangelistic circles that i've grown up in i felt like it was my responsibility and if i didn't get it out there and get and get the word done then it wasn't going to happen and and then um, it would be your I, fault yeah and god taps me on the shoulder and says hey it ain't you it <laughs> right. ain't you yeah i had a i had a woman recently uh i was singing at a wedding and and the the mom of the bride came up. She says, I came to one of your concerts once and all of her friends were, you know, drug addicts and, you know, alcoholics. And she walked into the, and she heard me singing. She said, the first song you started singing, I gave my heart to Jesus. And I'm going, wait, I haven't given you the whole story. 
I, I give you the four spiritual laws <laughs> and I start to realize uh, nobody comes to the father except he draw them and and he cannot we can't minister to the heart the way God can mm-hmm. because he he knows where people are mm-hmm. and he knows what will trigger them. And, you know, maybe that's why he allows so many of us to be afflicted. <laughs> Yikes. <clears throat> do you do you subscribe to uh, the church today? Like, uh, do you attend a, a traditional congregation? I have for the last, you know, three or four years. But, you know, I, I've, I've had real hard time, you know, in church, um, especially as an old person, and I'll just speak from that, mm-hmm. is that, you know, you get, you reach a certain age where you've grown up in church or you have a background in scripture and the, the pastor's not saying anything that you haven't heard before. And um, it doesn't f- seem to hit home the way it used to. And then there's this feeling that you're not heard or you're not important because you're not new. Mm. That's what I've just I've experienced um, in several churches in in recent months that um, uh, there's no interest in 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 dialogue with me at all. And I was playing for a church for three or four years where I was just doing the music that they sing. And, you know, I developed a really bad attitude about it because it was like. (laughs) I'm playing somebody else's music and singing somebody else's songs. This, this doesn't feel like my calling. Mm. So, um, I've been on a sabbatical for the last two months, um, trying to figure out, you know, where is my calling and what should I be doing? I mean, I don't want to start a church, but I also want to reach out to the disenfranchised yeah, uh, people who've been in church their whole lives and feel like they're isolated in church, which is kind of surprising. So I guess that begs the next question. Um, what's the purpose <coughs> of uh, Western church? What's the question again? What's the purpose of Western church? The, the, like we know, like you go on a Sunday morning and you have a, a formatted sermon and a, some music, some announcements, pass an offering plate. Um, what's the purpose of that? What's it useful for? You know, I'm not really sure you could answer that in a, in a soundbite. Um, <laughs> number one, I think that the church is, has value when you are, when you have a sense of being understood yeah, and that you have someone that you can trust to be honest with and uh, who will walk with you through the uncertainties of life. Um, That's what part of the church body uh, was supposed to do. And that I don't see, Mm. I I don't see that. Um, A lot of times it feels like um, a movie theater, you know, these days sound, you know, and it's loud and it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a show that you go to. Uh, that's become a way a lot of our churches are. Is that and, out of necessity, do you think? Oh, I don't know. I think people are, you know, still on the bandwagon of let me get your attention. Mm. Uh, 
so I can tell you about Jesus. And um, I don't know. That's that's short sighted. When did you know you could sing? Oh man, I don't know. I didn't think about it. Um, I used to lead sing uh, song service is what we called it back in the early days. Uh -huh. I would lead the songs at church uh, for my dad because he had a small church and he needed a volunteer. Mm. So I did that. And then he had a, um, a talent contest at the church and he didn't have a male vocalist for that category. And I remember coming home from school and I was writing songs by myself and I'd use the church cause I had a free guitar and an auditorium. And a <laughs> right. But I was writing songs already. And he asked me if I'd just sing one of those songs and, you know, and be uh, in the talent contest. And because there was nobody else in the male category, I won. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, you know, and then I went to another one and I, you know, found myself singing in front of actual people, mm. which was uh, kind of scary. Um, but that's what kind of where it started. I, I won a state competition as a vocal soloist. And it was the first time I'd ever thought about, wow, I, I could sing, mm -hmm. I could do. Sing. But even then I still didn't, I went to college and majored in missions. I figured, well, I'll be a missionary or a preacher or something. I, I had no idea. <laughs> uh, music was still a hobby. Even when yeah. I got to California. How do you major in missions? That's fascinating. <laughs> Well, you know, a Bible college. Oh, you know, yeah, They yeah. teach the Bible, mm -hmm. and they teach you about uh, evangelism and, you know, taking the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. And, you know, I figured, well, um, if you're a Christian, you're either a preacher or a missionary. So <laughs> um, I majored in missions. And then um, I was almost through the whole first year when they told me I wasn't missionary material. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I found some other extracurricular activities in college that were pretty fun and probably had nothing to do with Jesus. Wait, wait, probably didn't. <laughs> well, you know, they could have been, you know, you know, I, I was chasing girls at that point and, uh, you know, they might've been Christians. I don't know. So in the, in the mid to late nineties, uh, you had some Dove Awards. Now the Dove Awards used to be a big deal and they might still be, I don't know. I've kind of lost touch with some of the that stuff but um it feels like it's off the rails today yeah, well you know christian music has always been a small fraction of the music industry you know almost nobody would know mm -hmm. uh, who those people are most people don't know if you say yeah want a dove you know mm -hmm. dove is a is an ice cream bar and it's a bar of soap <laughs> And so why yeah, would you put it, that on your mantle? <laughs> yeah, you know, you never know. It smells good though. Right. You know, the Pope does. Um but you know, I don't I don't know. Um, you know, I gotta got sucked into it a little bit, you know, wanting to you know, we all wanna be acknowledged for what we're doing, mm -hmm. you know. We, we wanna we all have a tendency to wanna find something that makes us significant. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, again, here we are back to that. It's short-sighted. Same thing with a lot of church activity is short-sighted. And, you know, it's hard to keep your focus in the right spot. 
Do you play instruments? I, I should know this, but I don't. Yeah, of course I do. I, I play piano mostly. Okay. I've played guitar and, you know, I, my dad uh, taught me how to play bass. That was probably one of the first things. My mom taught me piano, gave me piano lessons. Well, she started me on accordion. Um, <laughs> thank God. Awesome. That's sick. Uh, <laughs> my mom used to play the accordion too. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's easier to, you don't have to plug it in. This is that's, true. Uh, it's a that workout was, that was too. The best part of that. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I mean, I grew up around musical instruments, and so you know, I noodle, I I I dabble in, you know, I wrote songs because I didn't play that well. Mm. So you know, I'll I know I'll make up something and I'll say something clever, <laughs> and you know, maybe they won't notice that I only have three chords in this song. Well, because I I was trying to think back, and I I think from my memory, which is sometimes hazy, uh, you primarily were vocal, right? And there were some shows you did where you, you, I could be wrong. Did, did you do concerts two tracks a lot or did you oh, always have a time. band? Okay. I called it the, called it the Econo band, <laughs> you know, from when I went solo, you know, I knew I couldn't take a guitar player with me and, yeah. and, but at, at the time, you know, drum machines were becoming ubiquitous mm. and, and so were sound samples. And except for live guitars, um, I knew I could probably get away with uh, keyboard sound samples and drum machines yeah. and keyboard bass and uh, and not be considered, you know, too heretical to the music <laughs> industry. Yeah, and who needs so a bass I, player and a drummer anyway? Who, who, What's that? Who needs a bass player and a drummer anyway? <laughs> Well, you know, I know most of them, uh, you know, were unemployed after that. Yeah. You know, it's like, but now they've, you know, with AI, they're gonna they're gonna remove uh, everybody. You know, it it'll just be now. You know, a computer can imitate your voice and. Uh, yeah, but you, know. you you can do things that m most people can't, and I don't know if a machine could do what you can do. It can try. Well, they they can certainly simulate things in some amazing ways. Oh yeah, you know that new thing that they did. Uh, you know, because there's a new there's a new song out that the Beatles, you know, John yes, Lennon. Yes, I just heard about that today. And they they used AI to put the whole band together. I don't know what all they did, but it sounds like the Beatles. That's crazy. You know, and I'm going, wow, we don't even need the Beatles anymore. <laughs> they could all be dead now, and we'll still. They'll be writing songs mm -hmm. into eternity. <laughs> <laughs> Has the uh, the landscape? Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about the music world, um, and you know, for the for payments and royalties. Um, do you think AI is just going to ruin the music industry, or is it going to force and really showcase the really talented people? I have no way of knowing. I've I've never been uh, comfortable with a lot of the technology. You know, it keeps changing all the time. You know, I would have never thought that I would be writing songs. I wrote a song with Phil Kagey once. Uh, he's in Nashville and never saw him the whole time. Really? He sent he sent me files and I sent him back other files. And next thing you know, we had a song, and I'd never seen him. I didn't. He was never there, and that became a regular occurrence. And 
to the point where I just thought, you know, I don't, I'm not getting the same energy out of doing this that mm-hmm. I used to get. And so I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't trust, I mean, there's, there's things about computers and technology that make it easier. Um, you know, getting sounds, uh, in the studio doesn't take nearly as long, except that you spend a lot of time listening to 15,000 versions of the way this could sound. And, but it's just innocuous. It's, it's, it turns music into an accounting, Mm -hmm. you know, I might as well be an accountant, you know, and there's, there's nothing euphoric about it. Is that why, um, some of the big names are going back to the big tours and that's where they're actually connecting with people. Cause it's, I mean, record sales aren't a thing anymore. Like they used to be. No. I don't even sell records. If I go on concerts, you know, they've probably got everything off of iTunes and YouTube or whatever. And you know, I don't, I don't sell product even. Um, I wrote some books and then I started this podcast because this has been a way of having, you know, a second career. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as music, I'm not going to tour with a, you know, a big band. I mean, that's, that's for big artists that have had, you know, that sold millions of records. Yeah. Um, I imagine they can go out there and, and do a full blown show. And the thing is when you see live, musicians actually performing real music um yeah it's almost uh it's almost a new thing yeah but you know not everybody can do that and the last couple of bands that i've seen live you know might have had one original member you know (laughs) you know half of the guys are dead and, and then they've got these you know i was on an airplane recently with um with the entire cool in the gang Oh, uh, on that plane, it was like, wow, you guys must be doing good because, you know, I couldn't put 13 members of a band on an airplane and fly <laughs> to a game. That's got to be pretty pricey. Yeah. <clears throat> but the more I talk to some of those guys, I realize that some of these guys aren't old enough to have been in the band in the beginning. <laughs> right. They just learned the music. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, do you own your catalog? No, I wish I did. And, but one of the things is I own the publishing, uh, I own a portion of the publishing of all my songs and, um, they've been bought and sold so many times that I had to hire somebody to go find some of the early records. Really? But that's one of the things that's been great about what, uh, Adam Curry is doing, mm-hmm. um, where I can, herd the chickens into one coop yeah and you know i've got 45 songs up now and i'm i'm just going to keep adding set lists of all my songs under different things you know because i've really resented spotify and itunes and amazon just feel like they're stealing all my music and you know and they send me chicken feed yeah it's literally chicken feed um you get 0.007 cents per play. Um, there's no way to make a living like that. No. So I'm, I'm kind of hoping that this that this takes off. 
the Get Alby app, mm-hmm. and where I put all my songs in one place where you can get them. And you know, I I don't know anything much about it yet, but <laughs> have have you seen some result so far? Well, I've only been on there for two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I mean. Have you seen Have you seen some impact yet, or is it still? Early? Oh yeah. Well, one of my songs is the number two most played song on that app right now, and out of the top one hundred, I have thirteen songs in there. So um, I think people are di- mm-hmm. people are discovering that never heard of me before. Well, and what I found wild, and I think it's a testament to your uh, your actual skill. Is you said you're seventy? Yeah, uh, you'd never know it, and that's what was mind blowing. Like going back to old records of you to now. Do you, has your range changed much? Oh yeah, <laughs> let's not kid ourselves. You know, it's great to be able to play a record from twenty years ago and say, "Yeah, that's me." But you know. I'm losing my voice even because it's so dry in California right now. Mm. Um, but, you know, when COVID hit and I did, I wasn't singing uh, for about three years, I just wasn't doing concerts. And I can tell really? that uh, the range is a little different. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, you know, it's like whatever you don't use, the older you get, you know, whatever you don't use stops working. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I sing a lot of mellower songs anyway these days because power vocals are kind of a thing of the past. You know, nobody screams like that. You know, everybody has these has this real fragile, broken voice kind of sound. You know, listen to the voice. You know, a lot of those people are, you know, it's real fragile sounding. So, you know, I don't think I don't know if there's a call for it these days even. What's your most memorable uh, memory from the road, if you have one? Well, you know, I usually think about the disasters. Um, <laughs> the most memorable was a plane crash we were in. What? Uh, it was back in 1980. Oh, man, when was it? Was it 80? It was 82, I think. Um, I was I was about a week away from having my first son. And we broke down in Texas, and this guy offered to fly half of the band to um, from San Antonio uh, to to a gig in Houston. Turns out he didn't file a flight plan, and then he got lost. And then he <laughs> was, he was circling water towers to try to figure out where he was, <clears throat> and he ran out of gas. Um, oh. Before we could find, you know, we found the, uh, we found an airport um, on the radio just by broadband. I, he couldn't find where he was at. It turned out it was in Bay City, and we, he tried to land the plane uh, without an approach. And oh, he, he, he put the wheels down on the runway going sideways. It was like, uh, it spread the landing gear, and we went back up in the air and crashed about 200 yards off the off to one side of the runway. And because it was out of gas, it it didn't catch fire, oh, and man. we crashed in a marsh. <clears throat> and uh, and we still made the concert, by the way. <laughs> uh, I went to the gig, 
and got on another plane the next day and flew home. But yeah, that's probably the most memorable. So the the lesson is don't take a free ride from somebody. <laughs> yeah, you know it's kind of hard to tell, but you know, it was very Leonard Skinnerty. That's not good. Yeah, well, you know what? They were joking. Those guys said they were, um, they were joking about getting in that plane when they crashed, and mm-hmm. you know some of them were killed. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's a lot of stories about airplane travel, and I, I've got three million miles in in air travel. So I mean, wow. At some point, it, these are risks you have to take sometimes. Yeah. But, um, you know. A private plane and somebody you don't know uh, might be a bridge too far. <laughs> Outside of music, um, what takes up your time? This. Yeah? Uh, nutshell Sermons. I, I, I started posting uh, songs that didn't make the last record because I started to realize I'm not going to do another record. You know, there's no point in it. And I told my manager as such, I'm going, you know, there's not a call for uh, a full album anymore. Mm. And it's expensive and time consuming. And uh, when I started doing nutshell sermons, um, it was cathartic for me because I could talk about my doubts and my fears and be smart aleck and still talk about scriptures that mean something to me in a way that doesn't sound like I'm better than you are or you know if you only knew what i knew you'd be better um (laughs) that's not the point the idea of fellowship is to is to commune with one another and to talk about our fears and our doubts and have somebody encourage you well my experience has been and and learn something from other people on the same path i think that's what church is good for so it's community yeah. And I haven't found too many of them. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a priority misalignment, you think? A prior, uh, what do you mean? Well, if, if it's difficult to find a church that is really filling the community void, is that a, uh, a like a leadership priority? Is it a, a model that doesn't work uh, within the church leadership? Is it us as the the lay uh, person going in, you know, sitting in the pew. Well, you know, scripturally, it does. It says, you know, don't forsake the gathering together of and, and fellowship one with another. That's that's a scriptural uh, command edict. Um, but how that looks, um, you know, there's so many variations on a theme that it's kind of hard to tell and it's, it's time consuming to find people you relate to mm-hmm. or that you can communicate with, or even to find somebody you trust, you know, with, with, um, your doubts and fears. And, you know, the Bible says to confess your faults one to another that you might be healed. And I'm going, wow, there's not a lot of healing going on around the world. I don't think. And it's mostly cause, you know, God forbid, if you tell somebody what your faults are, they'll they'll use it to take advantage of you. Mm. Yeah, yeah, because then it gets into a, a comparison game at some level. I guess you know, uh, it's just a hard 
it's hard to find a fellowship of believers that you can count on. Hmm. And, you know, for a long time, I went to a church for, you know, several years, not feeling like I really fit, but thinking, you know, I need to go to church as an act of contrition, uh, just an acknowledgement that whether I get anything out of this or not, this is me sitting before God going, I don't have all the answers. Hmm. You know, and that was worth something. But at some point, I did. I really prayed about the fact that, you know, I wanted to have a purpose yeah. in in what I'm doing. And it just appears that Nutshell Sermons has been a great part of that. And, you know, last month, my concerts started coming back like a with a vengeance. You know, I was um, every place from... Uh, I went over to Sweden, really? and I was in New Orleans, California, Northern California, and then over to uh, uh, New Orleans and, and Ohio, and I came home after about six weeks, and I'm going, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> so what does it take to get you nowadays? Um, it's just a promoter who's yeah. willing to pay the price for that. <laughs> you know, I, I can't leave home and... And not come for an acceptable fee. It's like, you know, musicians have to eat too. Of and course. So, yeah. But you know, I'm. I think I'm reasonable. <laughs> uh, it's and it's kind of negotiable. Depends on what else is on the books. Yeah. And you know what I'm doing at the time, and you know, so I mean, but it's, I'm I'm doing mostly. Uh, where I come out and sing by myself. Okay. So, you, so you're not traveling with a band necessarily anymore? No, I I did. I played in Sweden. I had an eight-piece band over there, but they were all uh, from Sweden and Norway <laughs> and just phenomenal musicians. Really? But I can send my... I send them my charts or they can listen to the songs on mm -hmm. YouTube for coming out loud. <laughs> and we wind up doing a whole set. Um, you are married with children and grandchildren now, correct? I mean, oh yeah. Well, I'm I'm married a second time, and I've got four kids now: two girls and two boys, and I have five grandkids now. It's it's uh, it's scary listening to people call you grandpa. <laughs> Is it fun though? It's it, it's been a surprise, you know. I I always heard people you know rave about their grandkids, and you know I'd roll my eyes. I'm going, oh yeah, that's that sounds like what I want to do is <laughs> be an old guy and have little kids sit on my lap. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's more to it than that, you know. It's the first time, you know, my first grandchild was a was a little girl. Her name's Lily, Liliana Grace, and. Um, I yelled at her one day. She was in the backyard with me and she was doing something. I said, don't do that. And it was kind of harsh. And she got, her eyes got really big and she ran over to me through, and I'm sitting in a chair and she throws her arms around my leg and she lays her head on my knee. And I had never felt anything like that before. Mm. I mean, even after having kids, this was different. This was, 
And now I know why God wants to have a relationship with me is he wants that kind of, there's something about that that can't be replicated. Um, you know, it's, it's a feeling like I'd never had before. And it's like, I, so I, you know, I don't, I don't jump up and down about grandkids and stuff, but I, I can just tell you <laughs> there's feelings about that, that I've never had. Yeah. What do you do to want, what do you do for fun? Um, I do. I talk. I talk <laughs> over music. Bed. <coughs> this is my fun. Yeah. I, I like writing. Um, uh, and lately it's been rants. You know, the nutshell sermons is is my fun. I mean, it's I have so much fun that it doesn't feel like work. Mm. But it's mostly talking to myself, <laughs> and then letting you hear it. Which is fun. It it actually is a, uh, uh, it's raw in a way that feels like I think yesterday on the phone you mentioned you know the whole <laughs> people listen in on your conversation. It feels like that. And I, I yeah. think that is, there's charm in that. And it helps some of the authenticity come out as well. Well, you know what? I think it also makes, you know, from what I hear from people uh, who listen to it regularly, is they just say, man, you make me feel like I could be a believer, hmm. you know, because you have all these side issues and feelings about things that I feel. You know, is, it feels... You know, I basically have one guy that says, you know, he says, I figure if, if you could be a Christian, wow, anybody could be. <laughs> uh, I thought that was pretty funny. But, you know, it is. It's a it's a fellowship, whether whether we're sitting in the same room or not. Mm -hmm. It's a it's an understanding that 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 all of us are defective in a lot of ways. And most people don't want to hear it. And. And I don't, I'm not going to kick you to the curb, you know, for, because you're not, everything doesn't line up with scripture. Hmm. Nutshellsermons.com is uh, kind of all, I mean, BrianDuncan.com you also have, I believe, right? Yeah, but I don't go there very often. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I'm talking to mostly people on Nutshell Sermons and, uh, you know, usually once you're on there, I mean, that's that's like an inner circle of sorts. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I know everybody by their first and last name almost. Um, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people that listen, you know, because the podcast has got a five-star rating on on Apple Podcasts, and I know that it's like 30,000 hits a day or something, but mm -hmm. that doesn't mean anything to me. But right. I talked to I talked to about a hundred people on there that you know are there all the time and yeah and it feels like a fellowship. Mm -hmm. Um, and you are you're putting out your product solely on a uh, a value for value basis, essentially, right? No barrier. It's all free. If people feel like they want to send value back, they can. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's no point in trying to compete with you know. Amazon and iTunes. Um, if if you want to just pay them a dollar and then I don't get paid at all, but um, you know, and I don't really understand Bitcoin at all. But you know, apparently, 
you know, that's kind of a, the way this is going to work. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you feel so led, you can give. But the same thing with the nutshell sermons, I'm not asking for money. It's free. Um, if you believe in it, you know, you can support it. Yeah. And I'm surprised at how well that's done for, you know, for me, it's astonishing that people would, would pay for two minutes of my smart aleck. Well, but think, think about this. Um, for how many years people bought your music and came to see you. So why would it be different for them to, <laughs> to value what you have to say in this format? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't have a, I, I have low self-esteem. <laughs> I never thought of myself as, why would you want to come see me? Uh, you know, but you know, one of the most popular things is not the nutshell sermons. It's, um, I started telling the stories of, of the early days of my, and now I'm telling stories of, of the records that I made and why I wrote the songs and what I was doing when I wrote the songs. And, you know, I even, I was telling this morning, uh, recording, I remember sitting in the turning lane when I, uh, came up with the idea for whistling in the dark. Because uh, I needed a change. And, you know, I says, you know, I was just waiting for the light to turn green. And, you know, so there's this, it kind of puts you in that world mm-hmm. back in the 1980s when I was doing that record and what I was thinking about and why I wrote that song and what was happening in my life. And that's been really um, successful. People that have followed me for years. Well, back in the day, um, VH1 used to have a storytellers uh, series, I guess, and it would be a band or an artist. They'd come on and they do a, you know, have like a concert and a Q and A all mixed in one. I think a lot of people really like, especially in today's world, we really like yeah. to know the background. That's why Whole Foods works because you go there and you buy chicken and you get to read the chicken's name and how it loved its, you know. It, <laughs> Peck at this corner of the yard no every day. So we want the story. And I think that's where what you're doing. And I've loved jumping in because I, I mean, I'm brand new to Nutshell Sermons. Um, but I love the stories, the old going back in time and talking through the process. I think that's hugely valuable. So keep it up. That's well, great. Fun and funny as well. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling the disasters. I I did one called The Wheels on the Bus. <laughs> it was when the Sweet Comfort Band bought a bus. And, you know, it was just one disaster after another. You, you always wanted to be big time. You thought, well, if we pull up in a bus, we'll be. <laughs> right. We'll be big. But, you know, that would eventually break the band. It was like <laughs> it was one disaster after another. Well, you got to look good. <laughs> Uh, you you did so. I think it was on your last episode that came out yesterday. You talked about uh, you were driving yourself to a show, and you went into a gas station, and everyone looked at you weird. You didn't explain what you were wearing. What were you wearing? I, I you know I talked about it earlier about the fact that I wore a uh, yellow and black and white plaid jacket. And I, you know, in, in that story, I tell that I was taking my cues, uh, from a band. I can't, now I can't think of their name. Uh, 
that dressed really clownish. And I, I went off on that. I was wearing a red shirt and a yellow tie and a yellow and black plaid jacket and black leather pants and yellow wrestling shoes. (laughs) Outrageous looking. And I walked into a seven 11 to get throat lozenges and, (laughs) and it got real quiet. Everybody was cutting up until I walked in and then they got really quiet. And I knew that something up was up there, but I bought my stuff and I was walking out and this one guy sings, like kind of a suggestion right. that the clown has just left the circus. <laughs> oh my. <clears throat> Excellent. So uh, nutshellsermons.com is where the best place to find your most recent content. Uh, you're also on the, the social medias, right? Primarily the X or Twitter, X Twitter, whatever it's called. Yeah, I'm on, I'm, I call it Twitter. I don't care mm-hmm. about it. I mean, that guy drives me nuts, but um, it, whatever you want to call it, it's called X now. I'm on, I'm at lunatic friend on twitter.com. Um, do they still have twitter.com? I didn't it know. is. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. It is twitter.com. So come on, Elon, get it together. What is it? Yeah, X go to, or Twitter? You go to lunatic friend and the number two, lunatic friend two. Um, and I'm on there every day. I'm also on Brian underscore Duncan um, on the same page. But, you know, I'm mostly smart aleck on the lunatic album or the lunatic friend thing because, <clears throat> you know, management didn't like what I that I would say smart aleck things. Also, when you were talking under your name, you have to be careful. <laughs> yeah, I, so I started my own private page. I like being my lunatic friend you know, on new, Nutshell Sermons, I just go by Brian, your lunatic friend. <laughs> so uh, that is that came from a old early, early song, right? Lunatic Friend. Well, it came from the... There's a song called Lunatic Friend. Mm-hmm. The album was called The Anonymous Confessions of a Lunatic Friend. And the whole song was about how we couldn't... We can't tell people... Um, that we're having a problem. Uh, the only way we can do that is to say, well, I have this friend and uh-huh. they have a problem. <laughs> uh, and that was the smart aleck about it. So this is not new for you. This is kind of your MO over the, the, the decades. Yeah. Uh, you know, I am my own alter ego. I like it. Awesome. Brian Duncan, this has been a blast. Um, I, Probably should let you go, but this has been really fun. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, NutshellSermons.com. Uh, also, um, you are beginning to throw your catalog, that you can at least, up on the uh, the value for value music world. Um, where, give me the best, like, are you under Brian Duncan? Like, is that what you're listed under? I don't know how to, you know, like I said, I've, I just started this. I've got 45 songs on there the only link i have right now <clears throat> that i know for sure works is i posted a list called uh, my favorite um feel good songs and if you go to bit bit.ly forward slash bd feel good you'll find a list of 20 of my songs that are just outrageous screaming. 
<laughs> Are you you're probably not able to actually put everything that you've done over the years up or or do you have access to all of it? Your entire catalog to put well, up. I have access to I have all my songs. Um and I but I, you know it's just trying to get them all up at the same time and uh-huh. you know it kind of overwhelm everybody. I've got over 300 songs and I've probably got you know 50 songs that were never recorded that I that I'd like to put up eventually too. Um I have 20 I have 25 songs on Nutshell Sermons under if you look at the top of the page it says songs that didn't make the last record. Uh-huh. And I've got 25 songs on there. Um but that didn't work out very well. I mean went out of sight out of mind. Mm-hmm. So yeah. It's hard to tell how to get it done, but I'm hoping that I can get all my songs eventually uh up on the new Get Alby app. Yeah. And uh, lnbeats.com is the main website. You can go there, search Brian Duncan, and there's uh, oh, okay. two out there, lnbeats.com. Um, and that that is kind of the, is that the biggest hub right now? Yeah, you're number three. Brian's Hymn is number three right now on the, on the top 100 chart and number seven. <laughs> yeah, it was number two the other, last week, so it's dropping. Excellent. Well, but... but you it, know, I've never... I've never uh, bragged about being number two. <laughs> right. it, just, it just doesn't sound good, does yeah. it? Well, but on uh, Boost the Grand Ball, they were on there. So that's going to push it up once uh, about once yeah. a week, I think he puts it out there. Uh, that's fine. Fantastic. Um, how much radio did you do? Like, how often did you have to go do radio interviews back in the day? Oh, oh I still do them. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of ubiquitous mm-hmm. i mean every week you know when i was doing records now you were doing stuff every week for record for radio stations and um hours of um recorded clips hey you're listening to wtbe or whatever oh, the right state stingers was. yeah yeah mm-hmm. uh liners yeah for uh radio. Yeah. did a lot did a lot of that Probably spent more time recording those kind of things than I did recording the record. Who was your favorite DJ to talk to back in the Christian world? Um, John Rivers would probably be, I mean, he was like an icon. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in Dallas and um, he just had, he had the voice. He was clever. Um, I remember he did... He was playing I Love You With My Life, and I'd recorded it like three or four times, but I also recorded a Spanish version of that song, and he, I watched him put both of those records up and, and fade from, from English to Spanish and oh, then wow. back to English, and you never realized that it was, it was a different re- recording. So he was live uh, switching. He was really DJing those together. Yeah, it was... Wow. He was pretty amazing. That's cool. Excellent. Um, well, any last thoughts? You can visit me on Nutshell Sermons and make your comments under the under my posts. I usually do a Nutshell Sermon on Saturday. I do a prayer you won't hear in church on Monday. 
and then I do uh, stories of Jesus and music in my early days on Thursdays. And so it's, and eventually I'll be doing some other things, I guess, but for right now, that's the way it works. And you can sign on, you can comment under any of the posts. Wonderful. And tell me what a great guy I am. Of course, absolutely. Uh, you know, I did mention that I have low self-esteem <laughs> and, you know, I really could use the encouragement today. <laughs> tell me I'm pretty. Tell me I'm pretty. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you, Brian Duncan. This has been a blast for me. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Enjoy it. Be careful, be good, and be back. And the hypnotist is next. In the world, I've only one to give. So insecure, a desperate pulse racing to NutshellSermons.com. Thank you, Brian Duncan, for taking the time to sit down and have this conversation. Hope you all enjoyed it. TheInterviewPodcast.org. Thanks for hanging out for this 100th episode. Uh, there will be many more, so I appreciate all of our listeners and everyone that uh, continues to stick with us. TheInterviewPodcast.org is where you can find them all and also where you can help support the show. We are value for value. If you get value out of the show, you go there, push the donate button, send it back our way so we can continue having these conversations. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. We'll see you next time. Twisted and broken
a heart like mine. 